0: Typically, uh, in the beginning of the year, we take a few weeks to look at our vision and values as a church. And last week, we looked at kind of that whole focus that Paul has in Philippians 3 of pressing in to to know Jesus Christ, that that is what life is about, and that is the big purpose. Um, John 17, 3 says, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. And as a church, our values all revolve around relationship. Relationship first and foremost with the God of this universe through Jesus Christ. And then relationships with one another in this body, as we're called to both love God and love others. John in his little epistle says, hey, we can't talk about our great love for God if we're not loving those around us. In this world and so we've talked about this as elders you know it's easy to come up in front and talk about these things you know pastors love to, to speak and talk about great theological truths but somehow in some ways it often doesn't translate into our lives and action actually transpiring in life and as you look at scripture we as believers are called to something pretty amazing Romans 8, 29 says that we are predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that God's destiny, his calling for all of us is to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That's an amazing thing to think about. In Galatians 4, 19, Paul wrestling with the Galatians and wanting them to move forward. He says, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Now, Paul's saying, and he doesn't have experience with childbirth, so you can kind of say, wow, Paul, what do you know about that? But I'm sure he's aware generally of that idea that childbirth is really agonizing. And he says, that's where I am right now for you. Why? So that Christ is formed in you. And then a verse that I want to focus on, this morning in 2 Corinthians chapter 3.18, it says this, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, that image of Christ, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So Paul is saying there that as we behold Christ, our goal is to be transformed into the same image of God in Jesus Christ. That's God's calling for us as people. And I think in the Western church so often we hear, oh, get saved, get forgiven. It's good, you got your ticket punched, go to heaven. And it's like, that to me is a really shortened, truncated version of the gospel. Jesus says, I've come that they may have life and that life to the full. So Jesus' desire for us is not just, okay, we'll be forgiven and get into heaven, but we will then become who he is on this planet in an increasing way as we go through life, and that we will begin to act as Jesus acted in the various situations that we face in life. The Puritan prayer that Kyle read this morning talked about I don't know if it was restoration or some idea like that, that idea that all of us were created in the image of God, but we live in a time post-fall where that image is somewhat tarnished and broken. And to me, when we come to Christ, that image is in the process of being restored. I've got an 18-year-old car that I'm working on right now, and restoring a car is not something that happens instantaneously right and so it's like okay i need to put new brake lines on here new calipers new this all that kind of stuff needs to happen and it's a process that that takes some time but the the end goal is that that car then begins to function and run as it was originally designed to function and run and that's god's desire for us as well as his children as all his children is that we come to christ and then we begin this process yes forgiveness is important but we begin this process of becoming more like Jesus Christ as we live our lives. It's interesting in the New Testament that the word for salvation, the Greek verb there, sozo, it's the same word for healing. And to me, that's really interesting that when we come to Christ, yes, we are saved, but we are saved to be made whole, to be healed. And as you read the New Testament, salvation is given in three tenths. We have been saved. We are being saved and we ultimately will be saved. But we're in this process where we're not just getting fire insurance. We got our ticket punched to heaven, but God has come to invade our lives and make us more like Jesus so that we can be instruments of his kingdom that has come into this world, instruments of his love and his grace in one another's lives. Ephesians 4.24 says this, we're created, listen, this is why God created, we're created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. That's an amazing statement. I don't know about you, but when I hear those things, I don't know what your response is. It's like, okay, that's just a pipe dream out there. It's something that pastors talk about and I read in books, but I don't think that reality is ever going to be experienced In my life, it sounds great, but it pretty much is unattainable. Or it's one of those lofty goals that sometimes we hit, especially at the beginning of the year, and we push in too hard. And then ultimately, we end up being frustrated and discouraged, and maybe feel guilty because we have fallen so far short of that goal. Or maybe you're one that says, man, I'm just nailing this thing down, man. I've just got this. When I walk into a room, people almost are looking at Jesus. And I don't think many of us feel that way. And to me, as you look at the church in our country, and depending on what poll you look at, 70 to 75% of our country will identify as being Christian. And you look at that and it's like, okay, how many of those are actually in process of being transformed and beginning to seek to work out the life of Christ through them? There's a whole bunch of other polls and statistics. Barna does this. A bunch of other companies do this as well. When you actually look at those that claim to be Christian, that will check that box. When you push a little bit deeper and say, okay, do you ever pray? Do you ever fellowship? with other believers? Do you ever share the good news of Jesus Christ? That number drops from about 75% to, depending on what poll you look at, seven to 9%. So basically about one-tenth of those that would identify as Christians are actually seeking to follow after God, even in kind of regular ways, not talking about the super radical missionaries that go over to Papua New Guinea, but just those that are here seeking to live out their faith. And I'm thankful that I'm part of a church where I think that percentage is much higher. But even here, I think we struggle and we wonder, how do I live this life out? If I look back over the past several years, can I honestly say that I am more like Jesus Christ now than I was several years ago? And again, we've talked about this as elders. You know, it is our call Not to make converts. The Great Commission is what? Go and make disciples. Teaching them to obey 32% of what Jesus taught. (laughs) No, teaching them to obey everything that Jesus taught. So our responsibility as leaders in this church, as elders in this church, is to equip the saints for what? For works of ministry. And I think so often in the church today, it's okay, we're going to pay those Christian professionals so that they can do (laughs) the works of ministry. And that is a skewed view of the church. It's a view of the church where Those that are sitting are not seeing their role in the kingdom of God, in bringing the kingdom into your squadron, into your academic environment, into your neighborhood, into your family, in all those different spheres. But it's like, okay, that's something we do. We check a box on Sunday morning, and from there on, we're kind of just going with the flow of life. And I so want to be part of a body that takes this calling to be disciples seriously. And as leaders, we do. And I think sometimes we've let you down because we say these big statements, but then we don't give a whole lot of practical ways that we can begin to live this out together as community. So we've been talking about this. And um, typically I preach expositorily. If you guys don't know what that means, it means I preach verse by verse through various books of the Bible. But what we're going to do a little bit differently this year is two or three times this year, we're going to look at what often is called a spiritual discipline. And when we hear spiritual disciplines, you know, it kind of, it's like, oh, I don't like that word discipline, you know, it's kind of like flossing your teeth. I know you got to do it, but it's just not that exciting to do. But a spiritual practice, something that Jesus engaged in in his life that will hopefully help us to experience more in terms of living out the life of Christ in our lives. So we're going to take this morning and I'm kind of give an overview of some of this discipline stuff, but then the next few weeks we're going to look at prayer and that's going to be the first discipline we're going to focus on this year. And we're going to give a couple weeks of teaching on that. And then we'll get back into Exodus. And then probably summertime, we're going to look at a second discipline, which is community. So we're just going to begin to go through these things and hopefully put some legs and feet on some of these concepts that we talk about. Because again, our desire is that we be transformed. Not that just we go to church and, you know, what's the definition of insanity, doing the same thing and expecting a different result. And I don't know about you, but more and more I want to be the aroma of Christ when I walk into a room. And sadly, I'm often not that, and I want to put myself in a place where God can work in my life in that way. And we talked a little bit about this last week, but the first point I want to make this morning is that being transformed into the image of Christ is a collaborative process. Verse 18 of 2 Corinthians 3 says this, and we with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another we are being transformed into this image that is a process it's not a conclusion it's not okay i come to christ and instantaneously i am conformed to the image of christ but i'm this process of transformation that word in the original is the same word that we get metamorphosis morphosis from It's that idea that, okay, I'm a caterpillar, and in this process, I'm becoming more of what ultimately God has designed me to be, to reflect the image of Christ. Hebrews 10.14 says this, By one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And I love that verse because it encapsulates both the gospel that we come to faith, we cannot earn our salvation by one sacrifice, and that's the sacrifice of Jesus Christ alone. I am made perfect forever. I'm made right in God's sight because of what Jesus did. It's not by my works. But then he goes right on to say, we are being made holy. That's a process. I'm not there yet. And when we hear that word holy, it Conjures up all kinds of religious ideas, but that idea is whole, complete, set apart for God, reflecting the image of Jesus to those around us. So that is what we are in process of becoming. 2 Peter 3:18 says, Grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So all these ideas that this is a process, we don't arrive there instantaneously. So I think that's really helpful for me when we start this process to look at the thing. Okay, if we look at Jesus and say, wow, look at how Jesus dealt with his enemies. He loved them, you know? It's really hard for me when I go into work to deal with that obnoxious boss with a loving attitude, or that coworker that's wanting to step all over me to get ahead of me with grace and mercy. And it seems really, really, really difficult. But if I understand, okay, this is a process. This is where I am right now, and we talked about this last week. If you've got a good coach or a good trainer, you're wanting ultimately to run that 26.2 mile marathon, right? He doesn't sit you down and say, "Okay, by the end of this week, we're going to be running 26.2." Wednesday we'll do a half marathon. Saturday we're doing the full. No, it's like, okay, let's start out. Let's maybe do a 5K first, okay? And we'll take a whole bunch of weeks to get to that 5K, and I think. This, to me, as I look at this whole becoming more like Christ as a process, it gives me encouragement that, okay, God's not expecting perfection all at once. I need to grow in grace, Peter says. Why do I need to grow in grace? Because I need that grace every moment of every day. I need to push forward with God, but to recognize that this is a process. I'm not going to arrive at that finish line right away. I'm not going to run that marathon right away. I'm not going to land that F-18 on a carrier if I have never landed the T-38 out at Whiting Field. It's just not going to happen. There's a whole bunch of steps that have to come in between. So recognize it's a process. And so be willing to engage in that process, knowing, okay, the goal is to be like Jesus, but recognizing, okay, God has grace and understands that that's going to take some time in your life. Often the analogy is used when you're you've got kids when they learn to walk right your kids are stumbling around the floor and finally they kind of get up on the coffee table and and then they take some steps and maybe make three or four falls till they get across the room and a good parent doesn't say that was pitiful three falls and six feet what is the matter with you get it together no it's that's great You're taking some steps. There's progress being made. And I think, you know, sometimes I have this view that God is expecting me to be running that marathon when, okay, I'm really only in shape to do a 5K right now. And when I push into and when I seek to do that 5K, he's like, good job. You did a 5K. Okay, let's push for a 7.5K next time. Or let's push ultimately for that. But there's a delight that God has when we begin to push in to seek to follow Jesus. He doesn't expect perfection. He recognizes that this is a process. And secondly, that it's a collaborative process. Greek nerd out on you a little bit here, but being transformed into the image, it's a passive verb there. And with a passive verb, then to me, God is taking the big responsibility of making this happen. He's the one that has to work that heart change in us. He's the one that takes responsibility to get us down the road. In first Peter, or in Second Peter one, you don't have to turn there, but listen to this. it says, "His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us. To his own glory and goodness, his divine power. It's given us everything we need for life and godliness. So when I embark on this journey to become more like Christ, to be transformed into that image, I need to recognize that I'm not entering into that journey alone. In fact, there's someone that even more than me wants to see this worked out in my life. And then he will give me the power as I show up with him in this process to become more like Jesus Christ. Philippians 1 6 says, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. Philippians 4 13, I can do all things through what? Through Christ who strengthens me. Paul says stuff like, to this end I labor at the end of Colossians. I want you to be mature in Christ, to become Christ-like and struggling with all his energy that so powerfully works in me. And so that's that recognition that we're not alone in this process. To me, you know, we can throw up our hands and you should throw up your hands if you look at the character of Christ as it displayed in the New Testament and say, I'm supposed to be like that. I'm supposed to live for other people a hundred percent of the time to be giving and gracious and even after i've got a long day to look on people with compassion and say hey let's sit down i know you need to talk and say oh i don't want to deal with that right now i just want to watch tv the bears are playing new Orleans this afternoon i don't want to be bothered right there's a reality that this is what god is calling us to and if we just look at what we've got in and ourselves it's easy to get discouraged like there's no way that i can become like jesus there's just no way But when we recognize that God is at work within us to will and to do his good pleasure, that he is coming alongside us in that process, and he takes that primary responsibility to transform us, then that's a really encouraging thing. That's let's start this process. Yet in the New Testament, even though God is the primary actor, we are called to show up, and we talked about that last week. But the reality is, all through the New Testament, there's an encouragement for us to pursue, to move forward, to push into, to become obedient, to do all of these things. And turning back to Second Peter again, he says, "His divine power has given us everything we need to life for life and godliness." And he says, "By which he has granted to us his precious and great promises, so that through them you be." Partakers of the divine nature. That's you are going to become partakers in the image of God here, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So, His divine power has given us everything we need to partake in this divine nature. And then Peter goes on to say, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement by your faith, virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control. And he goes into all these things. He says, because his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness, for this reason, make every effort to press in to becoming more like Jesus Christ. God is calling us to show up and to participate in this transforming process mentioned last week this little saying, without God, we can't. Without us, he won't. That we are participants in this process. Theologians used to call it sanctification, are becoming more like Christ. Now the, the term is spiritual formation, are being, being formed more into the image of Jesus Christ. But that's going to require some effort. On our part. That's my second point. Being transformed is going to require training and effort. Turn, if you would, to the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 4. It says, have nothing to do, verse 7 of chapter 4, with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. So Paul is encouraging Timothy. He says basically that this is a reality in life. That, yeah, bodily training, it's of some importance. Yeah, physical exercise, it's good. But he says you need to train yourself for godliness. Train yourself to push into becoming more godly in your life, more like Christ in your life. And he says, for this to this end, verse 10, we toil and strive. And this is where the struggle is for most of us. And I think it is the struggle for most human beings, right? We want what is right and good. We want those kind of things. But often we don't want the lifestyle that goes with actually achieving those things in life. And for some reason, I think in the spiritual life, we think it should be kind of more effortless than it actually is. And we don't apply that to other areas of life, right? If you want to learn an instrument or if you want to be good In some field of athletics or academics or woodworking or whatever it is, it's one of those things that you know, okay, this is going to require some discipline and effort. But when it comes to the spiritual life and our growth and becoming more like Christ, we think this should be a whole lot easier than it is. And I don't know why that is. I don't know why we look at that in a different way. I think part of it is just that we understand we are saved by grace, right? And, and there's a whole pushback against anything that kind of seems like lealistic works and, and earning our salvation, but that's not grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to works-oriented earning our salvation. And to me, you read through the New Testament and all over it is a call to effort, to exertion, to pursuing God, to drawing near to God in so many ways. And I think our problem is that, you know, we know this is what I want to be like. I want to be like Jesus. You know, what would Jesus do? All right, great. That's a great question to ask. But if we only ask that question in the big moments of life, when I'm facing a temptation, when my boss has laid some unethical way in front of me and says, I want you to do this. If at only that moment, I got to say, okay, what would Jesus do? Or if there's a temptation, a sexual temptation in front of me and you know, okay, this person is very willing and this person is very attractive and what would Jesus do now? Or if there's something financially that's going on and you know, okay, I can cut a corner here or there and I'll be much better off. If we only ask that question, what would Jesus do in the big moments of life? then I think we're often going to fail in those big moments of life. Dallas Willard's got a little book. It's an old book. It's called The Spirit of the Discipline. It's It's a great book. But basically, his point in the first couple chapters of this book is, if we want to experience the life of Jesus, we need to practice the lifestyle of Jesus. If we want to experience the life of Jesus, we need to practice the lifestyle of Jesus. If I want to follow Jesus in those big moments, then the reality is I need to be following Jesus in all the moments of my life. How does he have the strength to battle the temptations that he battled? How does he he have the ability to be so in sync with the father that he knows exactly what the father wants him to do? And we look at those big moments of Jesus life, but we know from scripture that when you become a disciple, a follower of a rabbi, you would be with that person 24-7. It's not what we think of as a teacher today who, you know, you go to a classroom and you sit down and he gives a lecture, you, you take some notes and then boom, you're gone. You followed this person around. Literally, there was a blessing. May you be covered in the dust of your rabbi, right? As you walk behind this rabbi, this teacher, you're so close to them that the dust he kicks up comes to you and the goal of teachers in that day was to pass on their teaching to a student that would ultimately imitate and emulate them and their teaching paul says what imitate me as i imitate christ in mark 3 14 after jesus chooses the apostles it says he chose them to be with him and to send them out to preach And I think it's really important, that first part. He chose them to be with him first. And as they walk through life, they see Jesus doing all this amazing stuff, but they also see what preceded all of this amazing stuff. That Jesus regularly went out to a solitary place and prayed. That he stayed up all night one time praying as he chose the disciples. That they look at his life and say, man, Would you teach us how to pray like you pray? Because we've seen you praying. And and man, that's amazing. We recognize there's something there that that we don't have. So as we look forward to this year, we're hopefully going to push into some of the practices of Jesus that he had in his life. And to recognize that, you know what, this is probably going to take some effort. I'm not going to mandate this stuff for you. This is an invitation. And the invitation is to join with Jesus in this process of being transformed and becoming more like him. And to recognize that, man, it, unless there's some of these, whether you want to call them transformational habits, spiritual practices, whatever you want to call them, I know disciplines is a bad word. People don't like that word, discipline but lifestyle decisions that will put you in a place where the Holy Spirit can more and more envelop your life and become part of you so that the Spirit of Christ is there in you as you begin to live life more consistently. And as you look at this process, to me, you know, when you think of disciplines, spiritual disciplines, I often think of monks, you know, it takes me to Monty Python, and all that kind of stuff, and and recognizing, okay, you know, and as I look at this, it's like, okay, I don't think, you know, I'm not living in medieval times, my only job isn't to hang around, in you know, a monastery, that's not where I am, and as I look at Jesus' life, okay, I'm not a first century rabbi, how do I go about applying some of these things to my life, and there's some keys that I want us to remember before we embark on some of these disciplines. First, when we often think of disciplines, they're those disciplines of denial, right? Um, to, To deny yourself and to take up your cross. Those are the disciplines that we think of, like fasting and solitude and silence and giving up your resources. And certainly that's part of what the spiritual disciplines are. But there's a whole broader part of that. To me, those are disciplines of denial. There's disciplines of what I call engagement, of service, of community, of feasting and celebration. That is a spiritual discipline as well. And as you look through the Old Testament, in terms of time spent, there was only one required fast day in the Old Testament, and that was the Day of Atonement. There's a whole bunch of feast days and the feast generally lasted longer than the fasts. So that recognition that, you know, these disciplines are not there to, okay, it's like flossing my teeth. I got to do this because it's, it's important, you know, for my dental health, yada, yada. But this is an engagement with the God of the universe and a time where I can put myself in a position where God can work in my life, that process of transformation from the inside out. And when we engage in these spiritual practices or disciplines, we're not doing it to earn God's favor or to earn salvation, but to experience God's life in us. Jesus said, I've come that they may have life and have that life to the full. God's not trying to rip us off and rob us. And I don't know about you, but I'm pretty hungry more and more for a life that emulates Jesus Christ in the midst of the craziness of this world where I genuinely have love for other people, where there's a real joy in my life, where there's a peace there that Jesus seemed to walk through life and so many things came at him and he was just kind of calm and peaceful and just dealt with those things one after another. I so want that kind of presence in my life. And so that. what God wants for me as well so enter into this not with the idea of okay this is self-denial, I'm just gonna gut it out but this is the way that I experience true life with Jesus and also to recognize that balance is needed in these disciplines I think people are wired up you're either a denial type or you're an engagement type right the denial types are, it's okay, we're going to fire up. We're going to give everything for Jesus. And it's like, oh, man, I can't believe you went to Subway for lunch. You could have given that money to missions. Get on the program. Get serious about following Jesus. And then there's the other side of, woohoo! we're children of the king, right? We're to live like kings and queens here and now, and that's what we're all about. Both of those aspects are necessary. We need to celebrate the good gifts of God. But we also need to recognize that at times God is calling us to say no to some of those good gifts for a better gift, the gift of Himself and pursuing Him in that process. When you engage in spiritual disciplines, especially the disciplines of denial, it's not kind of a platonic asceticism where You look at your life and matter is bad and evil and wrong. No, that is not the Christian view at all. God created matter and material and pleasure and joy and all the senses that we have to experience beauty and life and all those good tastes. That is God's good gift to us. That's his creation. So when we engage in these disciplines, sometimes of denial, it's not that those things are bad but that we recognize, you know what, there's something even bigger and better than that. And that's our relationship with the God of this universe. And I want to push into that more deeply. And so for a season, I will say maybe no to a good gift of God so that I can say yes to God himself in a better way. And we see this in sex and marriage. Paul says basically, okay, that is a command for married couples, right? But he says there's a season and a time where you give up that good gift to focus in on prayer. So that is the idea. It's not that this is a terrible thing, that God's opposed to marital intimacy. He's for that. He designed that. But he says there's times in life where you give up that good gift to pursue something more significant and important. And that's pushing into God and pursuing a relationship with him as well. Or fasting. It's not that food is bad. It's not that imbibing and being part of a feast is bad, right? Jesus was accused of what? Being a glutton and a wine bibber, right? His first miracle is what? Creating wine at a wedding, right? And and the the master of the feast basically comes to... The guy says, what in the world are you doing? You brought out the Chateau Lafitte Rothschild, you know, the $5,000 bottles at the end. You know, you should be bringing out the Boone's Farm now. Most people are fairly schnockered right now, and they won't know the difference. And so Jesus brings joy and that life to our lives in the midst of this darkness. But to also recognize that there is a nourishment of food, Jesus said to his disciples, that I've got that you don't know yet. And that's communion with my father and doing his will. So when we enter into these things, it's not that all that stuff is bad and we need to be kind of ascetic and away from the world, but no, there are good gifts that God has put into the world, but there are times He's calling us to focus on even a better gift. And that's himself. But also when those times of enjoying those good gifts in the world come, it's not the good gift is an end in itself, but it points us to the, giver of that good gift who is so awesome that he created this feast that we enjoy with one another. So recognize that as we move forward and have some balance. And I think all of us are geared in one way. We may be more like John the Baptist or we may be more like Jesus in these practices. But to think through that and to recognize we need both of those as we embark on becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. Also, flexibility is going to be needed. We need to adapt some of these practices from the past. They're really good practices, but we live in the beginning of the 21st century and to recognize I'm not, as I said before, a medieval monk, and we're not a first century single rabbi that's walking around. And so as we enter into these things to recognize that you can do what you can where you are with what you have, right? And... You know, we've had little kids, and I know sometimes moms, and it's like, okay, we're going to pray more. And it's like, oh, wow, where am I going to cut out time for prayer? I'm hardly getting any sleep as is right now. The only quiet time I have is when I'm in the bathroom and I lock the door. And that usually doesn't last for long. So to recognize in this process, okay, these are the things we're going to push into with grace and flexibility to follow after Jesus with the goal of experiencing his life in a deeper way. And also to recognize that community is needed in this process, and we're going to talk about this later, but we engage in these disciplines with one another. Jesus is the image of God. He is God reflected in this world. But John says something amazing in 1 John 4.12. He says, nobody's seen God, but if you love one another, God lives in you. And his love is made complete in you. That is an amazing statement. Nobody's seen God the Father. He's spirit. But if you love one another, God lives in you and his love is made complete. It reaches its goal. It is fulfilled in you. So we do this together as a church And so often, I think we're guilty of the idea that, God, I want you to speak to me directly. And it's wonderful when he does that. But to recognize that the vast majority of times how God speaks to us is through his people who love me. If I love my brother or my sister, John says, God lives in me. And God's love is made complete in that way. So as we push into these things, we push in together most of you understand the reality that it's a whole lot easier to stick to a discipline, whether that's a workout routine or an instrument where you've got somebody that you're doing that with. And God says, first and foremost, I give my spirit to help you in this process, and then I'm giving you brothers and sisters to encourage you along in this process of becoming more like me as well. So we need to take advantage of our brothers and sisters for encouragement in this process as well. And also to remember that these practices or disciplines or holy habits whatever you want to call them they're a means they're not the end the end is getting to know jesus christ more and more and as we know him we will reflect him more to the world around us and i know there's a lot of type a's in this church i just that's just kind of the reality here (laughs) And when we get on these disciplines, it's real easy to say, okay, I'm going to grab this discipline, by I'm going to push into this, and I'm going to become more like Jesus, dang it, if it kills me. And this has happened in my life where I would say, okay, I'm going to read through the Bible in a year. And I do it, you know, and I'm doing good for a while. And then I get to a day when I realize, you know what? I just read through everything. I checked my Old Testament, checked my New Testament, checked my Psalm, checked my Proverbs. But I don't think I remembered anything that I just read. And somehow... I feel better because I have done that. It's like, okay, that has become then where the discipline has become an end in my life and not the means to an end. Instead of saying, God, I want to know you through your word. Is there something you want to speak to me today through your word? I want to hear. I'm not better because check. I checked the box and I read through the Bible in a year. I'm better when I allow the Holy Spirit to use the word of God. And maybe it's just a small little chunk in my life to begin to transform me and make me one that lives in love in this world. So be careful of that danger as we push into these. And again, the goal of this is to move from that place where it is more discipline, where it is more labor to more delight. And just to recognize that these things Become sweeter as you engage in them and it's like anything when you first start to do something it's pretty difficult it's drudgery you know running sprints getting ready for the game all that kind of stuff that's that's hard practicing scales it's not fun doing all that kind of stuff is not that exciting but the reality is that's not why we're doing it we're doing it to get to that place where you can sit down and just improvise and not think about it because you practice so much it's just there and I think that's the goal with some of these disciplines. That it's just I'm spending time with the Lord, and so it's not that difficult for me to walk through life and think in all the situations of life, this is how I want to walk, I want to reflect you, Jesus, and help me to do that with all the people that I encounter in the day. And it becomes more natural or supernatural to us in that process. And um, God helped me with that one season of my life. I would get up really early in the morning and for a while. I was just frustrated. I'd lie in bed and say, God, I just want to go back to sleep. And it's like, oh, brilliant idea. I said, oh, maybe I can get up and spend some time in the Word and, and read that instead of just lying in bed and being frustrated. And that was a season, I think, that God was developing in me a discipline that now has become a delight. And now I really miss my time when I don't have that time in the morning. I'm not always getting up at 4 o'clock anymore. But The reality is that's a really sweet time and it has moved more from discipline to delight in my life. But that wasn't instantaneous. And that gets back to the first point. Remember that this is a process and we're going to hopefully give some really practical ways that we can start in some of these transformational habits, spiritual disciplines that will benefit your life and you will realize, wow, this is really sweet. I really like this. I'm connecting more with Jesus and I'm sensing his presence all through my life, not just for a few moments. So like I said, the first practice we're going to look at is prayer. We're going to spend a couple of weeks talking about that and then just giving some practical ways that we can be involved as a congregation, both individually and corporately, to pursue that. Because to me, that's the foundation of, of everything else, that we're connecting with God, that we're in relationship with him through communication with him. And we're going to look at that. And people's reaction to prayer are all over the place. You know, some of you hear that, it's like, oh, I'm excited. Some's like, oh, wow, I just don't want to go there. But my prayer in that is that when we push into that, some of these things will just begin to develop in our life. And it's going to take some effort and diligence. And again, we're not going to force this, we're inviting you into this process of hopefully putting yourself in a place where the transforming work of the Holy Spirit will be more evident in your life. And then at the end of this coming year, you can look back and you can ask people around you, hey, do you see more of Jesus in me this year than you did last? And again, that is my desire for all of us here. Not that we go to church, not that we become more educated theologically, but that we become more like Christ as we live our lives and interact with other people. And so... Are you ready to press into some of this stuff with us as a body? Again, we're not wanting to lay additional burdens on. We're wanting to connect us all with Jesus Christ so that we learn how to abide in him and dwell in him so that his life can then flow out of our lives and make a difference in the lives of those others as we bring his kingdom into our world. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you that you are so patient with us. That wherever we are this morning, there may be some here that don't even have a relationship with you yet. There may be some here that are just starting that relationship with you. But Lord, wherever we are, Lord, help us to have our first desire to become more like Jesus Christ. Not just in theoretical ways, but in practical ways as we seek to love those around us with the love that you have for us. So Lord, move us forward in this. Help us to push into you, to be willing to exert effort when necessary, to make changes as needed, not for the sake of those changes, but for the sake of knowing you better, of abiding in you and dwelling in you and experiencing the full life that you want for all of your followers. Lord, you want us to show up in this process, so help us to do that. There may be obstacles that pop up in people's minds. I just pray that you'd help us to move past those. There may be past experiences that are hard to get through in order to push into you more. Help us to overcome those. Lord, we want to be a body that knows you and follows you. And as people are around us, they would sense the aroma of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that that is primarily your work in our lives the lord help us to do our part to cooperate with the work of your spirit in our lives so that we may be transformed and conformed ultimately to the image of god as you work to restore us fully it's in jesus powerful and precious name we pray amen